morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 23. I was looking through my notes from Luke and Acts. Just kind of planning out the next few chapters or the last few chapters and the date of the first Luke message was September 2018. So five years it'll be that we've been in Luke and Acts. It's a long time. Some of you young people maybe don't remember me preaching from any other books except Luke and Acts. And this Acts especially, we're learning so much about Paul and why he is the way he is and why he wrote the things that he wrote. It's very good for our faith. Thanks be to God that we have a record of it. Let's, let's pray. Medina, my sister, we love you. We love you. Don't worry. We just sang, God clothes the lilies. He sends even a bird to bring food to his people. He loves you. He'll be with you. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy that's new every day. Thank you for our bodies that are fearfully and wonderfully made. And Father, though we do have ways of healing ourselves the way our bodies work. Father, we know that that is the secondary cause. The primary cause is you sustaining us each moment. We pray for our sister. We pray that you'd help her as they operate. Father, we pray that they would be skillful, very skillful, even that you would direct their hands to have more skill than they even possess. Bless her, Lord. Help them. Father, we pray for others who are not with us today, who are ill and resting. Father, bless them. And bless us who have gathered here today, Lord, as we read your word, as we think about it. Bless us. Help us to be doers of the word and not only hearers of the word. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, last time we had kind of a long section from the middle of chapter 22 and into verse 11 of chapter 23. Basically, the Jews became even more angry with Paul because he relayed to them his conversion experience and that God himself had directed Paul to turn to the Gentiles. And when the Jews hear this, they're really ticked off. And they're making a real show of it, right? If you remember, they're throwing dust up into the air. And the, the tribune decides that he wants to get to the bottom of this. He must have done something really bad because look at the fuss that these Jews are making here. And they decide to, quote, examine him by flogging. 
Now, this is kind of ridiculous because he likely would die after this flogging. So there's really no point in examining him. They're basically saying, yeah, okay, he probably did something bad. We'll just kill him. And if he wouldn't die, he'd be very injured. But Paul knows that that's not lawful for Romans to do to other Roman citizens. And we talked about this. He, he's innocent as a dove, but shrewd as a viper. Upon hearing that Paul's a Roman, the flogging is immediately called off. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, we are not going to examine him after all. And Paul addresses them. He says that he's had a clear conscience. Even as a Pharisee, he acted in accordance with his conscience. And the chief priests do not like his boldness as he's preaching and saying he's got a clear conscience. The, the chief priest orders him to be struck. You remember this? Paul then rebukes the one who ordered such a thing, not realizing that it was the high priest who had ordered it. And if you remember, Paul, like, are you really going to judge me? And have me struck as breaking the law when you just broke the law by having me struck without hearing my appeal first. And if you remember, he, he divides the crowd. He says, the reason I'm actually here, I didn't do anything wrong. The reason I'm actually here is because of a disagreement about the resurrection of the dead. And the, the group that was there was mixed. Some are Pharisees that believed in the resurrection of the just and the unjust. And the Sadducees did not believe in that or spirits or anything else. And so he divides the crowd. The crowd is divided and they actually can't stand in opposition the Bible says a great clamor arose, a loud and confused noise, especially that of people shouting vehemently. That's the definition of the word clamor. And when the discussion can't be won, this is between the Pharisees and Sadducees or the resurrection believers and those who believe not in a resurrection Violence begins to break out among the crowd. Something we've seen again and again in Luke. Jews resort to violence often against Paul. When they can't win the discussion, they just lay hands on him. And the, the tribune is afraid that he's got this Roman citizen under his care. It's already a sketchy situation. He, he was about to have him flogged. And he decides, these Jews are going to kill him on my watch, and it's going to look bad on me that I allowed this to happen to a Roman citizen. And especially one who is, has been a citizen from birth. was a very noble person because of his citizenship. So he decides to put him into protective custody, which we are familiar with from modern stories of crime and protection. 
And Paul, toward the end, he's again promised and encouraged by God to be brave, to be courageous. Um, God has special plans for Paul. This isn't the end his trip to Jerusalem. Even though the Spirit testified in city after city that abuse and hardships awaited him in Jerusalem, God is saying, yes, but it's not going to end in Jerusalem. I have plans for you. Um, Verse 11 of chapter 23, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Don't be afraid. You will testify in Rome also. And God had said this about Paul from the beginning. He was going to be the chief missionary to the Gentiles. He's going to take the message to the heart of the Roman Empire, Rome itself, and testify about the facts. Well, that brings us to today. We'll read verses 12 through the end of chapter 23. Acts 23, 12. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you've informed me of these things. Verse 23, Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready, 200 soldiers, with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen, to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor, and he wrote a letter to this effect. This is the letter. Claudius Lysias, to His Excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. 
I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to stand before you, what, uh, to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instruction, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day he returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul before him. Upon, uh, on reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Amen. Verse 12, a vow is made. And a plot. The vow and the oath is that they're neither going to eat or drink till they have killed Paul. Now listen, we talked about this before about making oaths in Judaism and vows, and it was very serious, right? This is not something that you should say and then not follow through with. God will hold you accountable for not keeping your oath. Um, but this, what they're doing here is, is interesting. This Hebrew word, it, it's um, Brother Gill says it answers to the word anathema, which is sometimes used for oath. Cherum or anathema is an oath, a vow made to be punished with anathema if not kept. So these men swore to it and bound themselves with an oath or wished that they might be an anathema, a curse of God, cut off from His people. They imprecated the most dreadful evils upon themselves. I guess an imprecatory prayer. I remember many years ago, Brother Edward taught a Bible study about is it ever right to pray an imprecatory prayer? Break the teeth of the wicked God. Break the arm of the evildoer. These people made an oath similar to that like let us be accursed God. Let us be cast away if we don't fulfill this oath. We are not going to eat or drink until he is dead. Meaning, they plan to do this very quickly, right? How long can you go without eating or drinking anything? Not long. Not long at all. A few days. Verse 13 tells us the, the number. There's quite a few, right? 40 people that are part of this conspiracy. We're going to hide out. We're going to wait for him. When they bring him down, we're going to meet them on the way and kill him. And so fulfill, fulfill this oath that we have made. And these people likely are from the Sanhedrin, probably Sadducees, right? Probably not the Pharisees, because just before this, we have them arguing, and the Pharisees saying, maybe a spirit did talk to him. 
We need to figure this out first. Probably not the Pharisees that were a part of this plot. Um, Verse 14, we hear that they tell the chief priests and the elders what this oath is that they've made. Verse 15, they give the plot details. You know, go to the tribune, tell him that you want to bring him down. We're going to examine him more closely. But really, we're not going to do that at all. We're just scheming so we can kill him. But, you know, you you help us out with the plot. Verse 16, this is interesting, the son of Paul's sister. Okay, the son of Paul's sister. This is be his nephew. Paul's nephew. We don't know anything really about his family at all, except that he has a sister who had a son. That's really all we know for sure. Um, the son, his nephew, overhears the details of the ambush somehow. He hears of it, and he went and goes to the barracks where Paul's being kept. Apparently, if you're a Roman citizen who's being kept, you have um, extensive visitation rights. Like, it's, people can come visit you and minister to your needs. It's, it's not super cruel while you're awaiting trial, where it might be for others, not so if you're a Roman citizen. And so his nephew goes and meets him in the prison, and Paul says, we need to let the tribune know about this because they, they obviously put me here to keep me in protective custody. I don't want to be delivered into their hands. Can you go tell him what you just told me? So Paul asked the centurion to take the young man, verse 17, to the tribune for he had something to tell him. So the nephew goes and talks to the tribune. The tribune says, okay, what is it? You have something to tell me. What is it? And the nephew tells him of the plot. And listen, this this tribune does not take this story lightly. According to history, what we think in Jerusalem is there was a Roman cohort there, which would be approximately a thousand troops. Okay? A thousand troops total. He says, okay, listen, I need two centurions. Right, a centurion is a guy who's the commander of a hundred, right? He's a centurion. I need two of y'all, get 200 men, and also 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. You're talking almost half the entire force in Jerusalem is going to go to make sure that this plot does not come to pass. And this 470 troops, they, they, they have a 10 to 1 advantage. Plus they're trained in war and the, Pharise- or the Sadducees and those who are part of the plot, not, not going to be as much for sure. But this force is designed to protect him to get him out of the city. And he decides to write a letter to send ahead with Paul to Governor Felix. Tells him basically the same thing, though he, the way he presents the story makes himself look better, doesn't it? 
having learned he was a Roman citizen, I rescued him. Let's leave out the part where I was about to flog him, and then I figured it out. The way that he writes it is like, I heard about these charges against a Roman citizen, so I stepped in on his behalf and rescued him. That's not really what happened, but kind of. He did rescue him for sure. Um, And then he says, you know, I I tried to find out why they're so mad, but it has stuff to do with their law, which we don't really care about anyway. I don't think he's a Roman criminal. He hasn't broken any of our laws. So I'm ordering them to go to you and state their case. And maybe you can figure out something that I was unable to, to discover. And I think really he wants this out of his hair too, right? Let's send him to the governor. Let him decide. But, I mean, half the whole force to take him down there? I mean, this is serious. 31, after he wrote the letter and gives it to them, now they're actually doing the thing that he wrote in the letter. The soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatrice. Um, On a map, this is a long way. This is 35 kilometers. Uh, No, 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 miles. It was 56 kilometers. In one night, they traveled. They said it it wouldn't be easy, but possible, especially if you did it at night, because it would be cooler at night. They could could huff it. But they get about halfway there. And on the next day, they return to the barracks. So most of the people, once they get halfway there, they feel like they're free from the danger of these 40 people who were lying in ambush. They send back most of the force. The foot soldiers go back, and the horsemen take him on. To Caesarea and verse 33, deliver the letter to the governor and present Paul as well. And so the governor then reads it and he wants to know what province he's from. <laughs> it seems like maybe Felix wants to pass the buck also. He's like, What province are you from? Like, maybe you're not even under my jurisdiction. Fingers crossed. What province are you from? He says he's from Cilicia. And he says, okay, okay, well, you know, that's part of the Roman province of Syria, which is underneath his jurisdiction. He says, okay, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. So, you know, this is sort of a... There's nowhere, no good way to stop in any of these final chapters because it, it's just a long-running narrative of Paul continuing to make his defense, to testify to God's work in his life. Um, but next time we'll see that the high priest comes down to Caesarea with elders to make their case against Paul. Um, but in all of this really I mentioned this when I first started this morning 
what God has given us in the book of Acts is a, is a lot to understand why he writes the things that he writes. And when he tells people to be bold and be courageous, he's, he's not just telling them to do that. He had to experience that. God had to tell him too, don't worry, I'll be with you. Keep going. Testify. I think this is very important. There's reasons why Paul says, I was abused in all these various ways. I know what it's like. And we've read about them. We've read about them. And and we've discussed this one time in the past about sometimes the scripture seems redundant. Like somebody will tell the story and then five verses later, that same account is retold in full again. And you think, okay, why why do we need to hear it four times in three paragraphs? Apparently God wants you to hear it four times. I mean, if something's repeated again and again, maybe we should pay closer attention. And Paul, in these last few chapters, he gives the same account of his testimony again and again and again. And Dr. Luke records it in full. It's important to the life of the church. It's important to God's work in Christianity. This is a former killer of Christians... Now he's testifying before all sorts of people all over the known Roman world. God is king. He's not dead. He's alive. He called me. And I I think the same is true for us. He's called us out of darkness into light. You have a powerful witness, a powerful testimony. The facts of the case is you were a criminal and destined for death, and he had mercy on you and changed you. And now you're servants of the Most High God. Testify. Testify before poor people and jailers and kings, and doctors, and nurses, and yardscape, landscape people, whoever it is that you come in contact with, as God opens the door, testify to the truth. Isn't that how the gospel has come down unto our generation? Because people who were saved testified to the truth throughout the generations all the way to our generation? And who will tell the next generation, if not us? Do it. God works in us, and He doesn't want it to be hidden underneath a basket. He wants it to be put on a city that's on a hill. You can't hide it, even if you wanted to hide it. It's on top of the hill. It towers over all around. Let your good works testify. Right? Isn't that what the scripture teaches us?
Well, next time we'll continue on. We'll hear of Paul's um, hearing before Felix. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, for delivering Paul from that plot of evil men. We thank you, Lord, for using his nephew to hear of this treachery. We thank you for the soldiers that protected him on the way to Caesarea. Father, we thank you for encouraging him to be bold and that we might imitate him in our faith, that we might be bold, that we might be innocent, but also shrewd, that we might be wise. Father, we pray that you'd work with our faith and help us that we would be eager to tell of the goodness of God and the good news of Jesus. Be with our fellowship today as we eat and um, continue on with our time together. Bless us, please. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.